Hey, what's going on, everyone? It's Keenan over at Lateral Limits, uh, your friendly neighborhood, SOT. We're here with our second episode of the podcast, which in our first episode, we kind of talk mostly about my personal journey uh, for entrepreneurship and how I started my business and sort of what led me to certain sort of uh, decisions that I made along the way. We're going to kind of piggyback off of that in our second episode and I want to dive a little bit more onto the side of the consumer as opposed to the actual business owner. And for the most part, um, I think I really want to talk more about like your personal friends and family and their side of your business and how important or detrimental, I suppose, that could be sort of depending on how they react to you opening a business. So we're going to start with a bit of a hot take that I've seen posts like this pretty regularly on like Facebook. And my wife had shared one with me. and I'm going to read it to you. It said, when you start a business, you'll become friends with a customer faster than friends become your customer. And I'll read it again. You know, when you start a business, you'll become friends with a customer faster than your friends can become your customer. And that can definitely be true. Now, it's a little different from my side because um, obviously I moved six hours away from my hometown in Louisiana to open my own business. So I don't think something like that really pertains to me particularly, but it can, right? So... Uh, essentially, what the post is sort of saying is a lot of people choose not to shop with their friend if they open a business. And I guess if you read between the lines, I mean, it could be a plethora of reasons why they don't want to shop with you. Um, but I suppose reading the comments of that individual post, it has a lot to do with like jealousy. Yeah, because a lot of people want to be business owners. A lot of people want to open their own business and be entrepreneurs and pursue their pursue their um, dreams. But if someone else does it before you, like let's just say the time's not right for you. It's just you, you, you have too much debt. You're not willing to leave your full-time job yet. You know, your kids are about to start college and you can't, you can't absorb that sort of risk yet but your friends can because they're in a different sort of portion of their life, it doesn't mean that you can't support them just because the time's not right for you, right? So I think that's really important and a really uh, important perspective to look at uh, from the friends and family side. So if, if, a, if a family member of yours or a personal friend of yours opens a business, just be there for them. You know, there's there's more than there's more ways to support a small business than actually shopping with them. You know, arguably I could say that just you know, telling people about my business is more important to me as a friend than actually shopping with me. And I do understand that not everyone is going to want to shop with me. And I'm, I don't exactly have the type of business that I would expect to see the same customer three, four times a week, like let's say a coffee shop. 
right? I do, I do thoroughly understand that when someone shops with me, the chances of me seeing them again in the near future can be slim, depending on what they come into my shop to buy. But there are more than more ways to support your friend's business than simply, you know, going in and, and spending money with him. You know, like I said, I mean, it could be as simple as sharing a Facebook post. It could be as simple as just telling their friend about your business, you know, um, among other things, among other things. There's, I mean, there's a million different ways to skin the cat, I suppose. It's just, if the cards aren't right for you, don't not support your friend's business because of that, you know, help support them. Absolutely. Support them for sure. And then also, I suppose the second thing that I really wanted to talk about, piggybacking off of sort of that, that story about supporting your friend's business, is one thing that I tend to struggle with is don't, and let me rephrase that, um, I don't say like, uh, because like I said, I mean, a lot of my personal friends like that I knew from before I opened the business, they don't really come to my shop physically much because I'm six and a half hours away. But I do ship a lot of stuff, you know. So like obviously my friends and family back home definitely do support me and I'm extremely thankful for them for that. Uh, but they, like I said, there's there's other ways that they can support me than just shopping with me. But anyway, I digress about that. One thing that I kind of refuse to do when I go into a business of a friend or a family member, really any small business in general, is ask for a discount or expect a discount for that matter. I expect to pay regular prices for everything if I'm in a friend of mine's business. I do not want a discount. I do not need a discount. That's not what I'm there for. And if you're, if you're the type of person that walks into your friend's business and expects a discount, um, you're wrong. You should not be there to ask for a discount from a friend of yours business. You should be there to support them, um, you know, post about them on Facebook while you're there, you know, leave a good review, whatever you have to do to help your friend and help help get that business off the ground is what you need to do so asking for a discount from me um i feel like is a bit like a slap in the face and like obviously i try my best to keep my pricing extremely competitive and there are some things that obviously i can't get or sell as cheap as like let's say the big daddy unlimiteds of the world or academy you know, things like that. Obviously, I can't price match a business that's being publicly traded. And that's tough. That's tough when I have a really cool product and I have a really cool business and, and I have someone who comes in and they're like, oh my God, dude, this is the coolest business idea. Um, Keenan, I really want you to succeed. This is awesome for you, dude. I want to support you 100%. But by the way, Big Daddy Unlimited has the same product for 6% cheaper. Can you match the Big Daddy Unlimited price? Which, first off, for those of you who don't know, Big Daddy Unlimited is 
They call themselves the Costco of the gun world. And basically their whole business model, and it's a pretty interesting one, but basically you pay a membership fee. Um, don't make me lie. I think it's like 30 bucks a month for you to shop on their website. And you can buy stuff at ridiculously low prices, and they can afford to keep their prices ridiculously low because, one, they drop ship, and two, um, they make all this money from... They make a decent amount of money off of these memberships, which is a really cool idea. It's a really cool business model, right? So you, you, you pay for a monthly membership, and you get these prices at damn near wholesale cost, if not lower sometimes. Because they obviously have, you know, they're direct with a lot of people. So they get really nice pricing. So you see these low prices. And then you're like, oh, well, surely Keenan and his 1,200 square foot gun store in Garland, Texas, which employs a grand total of two people, uh, can match that price. And it really hurts when someone asks to do that, you know, because it's like you try so hard. You try so hard to, to make it work. And uh, as a from the own, from the perspective of the business owner, it's so hard when someone comes in. You know, it just it takes. I mean, it 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 really sucks the life out of you when you're sitting there and like I'm talking to a customer about like let's say a firearm and and I really feel like you know they want to push forward with the purchase and it makes me feel good and you know like I'm giving them the product that they want and. But this price, is this the best you can do? Like, bruh. Or the best is after I do the background check and the paperwork's done and we're going to check them out and everything. And they're like, all right, man, your total is, you know, say 650 bucks today. Whatever it is. Yeah, but is that the best you can do? Like, dude, okay, uh, okay. Like, the time for negotiation is before the paperwork is concluded, you know? Like... The, the everything's done the background check's finished like we should have discussed this prior to if you were if you if you didn't like the price you should have mentioned something beforehand but like i said if asking for a discount at your friend's business is something that i don't really recommend that people do right because like i said if if you go to your friend's business and ask for a discount for them you know for whatever it is i just i really feel like you're not really there to support them you know because obviously margins as inflation increases you know businesses for the most part try their best to keep their prices low or low-ish so if i maintain if inflation keeps rising and if inflation keeps rising and my prices, for the most part, stay the same, that means my margins are less. And if my margins are less, that means, obviously, there's less profit. And if you're asking for a discount, that's only going to eat into my profit and nothing else. So, like I said, guys, uh, from the perspective of a business owner, but also from the perspective of a consumer, you shouldn't go into your friend's business and ask. Or expect a discount and uh i'll talk about one quick story um me my wife and um well i guess my two daughters were there too i think gunner was in louisiana maybe but so me and my wife and two daughters Frey and phoebe 
We went to a little restaurant in Sunnyvale that was opened by one of my customers. He's a friend of mine. His name's Earl. Uh, so Earl opened a little restaurant called Settler's Table. It's in Sunnyvale. And it's a really cool little place. So Earl, if you actually listen to the podcast, and I don't know if you do, which uh, I guess if you do, I was eventually going to ask see if you want to come on the show. But essentially, uh, well, Earl, I'm going to talk pretty sweet about your little little gig. Um, so yeah, Earl opened a really nice restaurant in Sunnyvale, which the restaurant industry in general is really tough. You know, a lot of competition, obviously. And inside that competition, uh, you have bias. So it's one thing to open a business that there's a lot of competition, but we're all pretty much on the even playing field. You know, there's one thing to open a business like that, like a like a tire shop, for example. You know, everyone needs tires. And whether you're a tire shop, you're not going to just specialize in racing tires or all-terrain tires. You can pretty much do it all, right? So the when it comes to business and opening a business where there's a lot of competition, at least if everyone's on the same playing field, there's no really specific niche, then for the most part, you can be competitive with everyone. But look at the restaurant business, for example. Restaurants are tough. Because there's so many different places that sell food. And then on top of that, I can make it at home for a fraction of the price. So for the most part, when you open a business that's like a restaurant, you, for, for the better part of the word, you sell an experience. Not really the food part, right? And also convenience. But like I was saying, so when you're when you open a business in an industry that has uh, a decent amount of competition, but inside that competition there are niches, right? There's smaller subcategories. For example, a restaurant. There's a you know just to spit off a few. You know there's there's um, Mexican food, right? There's American food. There's pizza places. See what I'm going with this? So. And inside those subcategories, there's going to be people that are biased. So although you may make great food, if you sell, let's say you open a really cool Mexican restaurant, not everyone likes Mexican food. Even though your food may be great, it's just everyone, you don't, or, you know, they may be more inclined to shop at a different one. It doesn't matter what it is. But what I'm saying is when you open a business like a restaurant, you're going to have to deal with smaller subcategories of competition as well as yours. So the biggest thing when opening a restaurant is you have to be different. You have to sell such a cool environment and a cool experience that it'll draw people to you. And I do think that's one thing that Earl did with his new little restaurant very well. So you go there, it's a really nice like farm style, farmhouse style vibe. It's extremely clean. It's in a really new shopping center. And it shares like with a little boutique thing. So like while you're waiting for your appetizer, you can go peruse around the little boutique. Uh, but it's a really cool place. I strongly recommend you guys go check it out. It's called Settler's Table. It's in Sunnyvale, Texas. Um, and they specialize, I guess it's like American cuisine. I had a really good sirloin while I was there. But anyway, I digress about that for a second. So anyway, so we go eat there. And I, you know, obviously I went there to support Earl. He had just opened not that long ago. So, um... We didn't feel like cooking that night, so I said, you know what, let's go 
Let's go to Sunnyvale. Let's go to, to Earl's place. So we go to Earl's restaurant. Like I said, it's a really cool little vibe. Beer was very cold. It was delicious. Uh, we ordered an appetizer. I think it was fried pickles. And, you know, I ordered a steak. I think Janae ordered chicken. Phoebe, if I had to guess, probably was like chicken tenders or something. I don't really remember. But we had a great time. Ordered dessert. The whole nine yards, right? It was a really cool experience. Pricing was great. Um, but I look at the check, and I notice Earl took off the fried pickles. And I know that a portion of the reason... So the reason why he said he took off the fried pickles was... Um, they just didn't look appetizing to him, right? And so me, from the side of the consumer, I ate them all. I never complained about it. Uh, I thought they were great. And so I told him I wanted to pay for them. No, Keenan, I just didn't find they looked that that good. Um, so I comped them. I didn't ask for it. I never complained about it. And I do think a portion of the reason why he comped it was because I was his friend. And like I said from before, I don't go into a friend's business. I went there to support Earl and his new business, right, his new restaurant, because I know how tough it is, one, to open your own business, and two, especially to open a business where there's so much competition. It's tough, man. It is tough. If any of your family members or friends opens any sort of restaurant, even if it's a food truck, Guys, you have to help them. You have to support them because it's so tough to make it in the restaurant industry. That's such a tough gig to get into, man. That is such a tough gig. So I told Earl I wanted to pay for him. He said, no, I already took them off. So I said, well, how much were they? He told me the price. I just handed him the amount in cash. And I was like, no, buddy. It's not like that at all. I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. I loved it. I loved it here. Um, it was a really 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 good meal we thoroughly enjoyed it zero complaints are going to come out of me um, I really enjoyed the meal so I want to pay for them and I feel like if if you feel like you have to give a discount and then your friend or family rebuttals with that that makes you feel so good knowing that they're they're physically there to for you right they're physically there for you and to support you and that makes me feel really good, knowing that, you know, my friends or family member are there to support me. And, guys, if you are listening to this and you're, you know, obviously a friend or a family member in Louisiana, it, it absolutely means the world to me and my family that you guys do support us from so far away. I can't tell you how many, how many things we've shipped, whether it be guns or ammo or you know, parts and accessories and coffee. I have plenty of friends who order my coffee. We have our own brand of coffee. Uh, it means the world to us knowing that you guys have so many options and you support us from six hours away. That literally means the world to us. And I think on the side of a business, I mean, there's plenty of businesses that every time we go back to Louisiana, we support you know, whether it's my friends or just businesses that we've supported, uh, whether it's just like businesses that I know, like business owners that I know personally, or just in general, you know, businesses that we've always supported from the beginning. And 
that's just something that we just as a family take a lot of pride in coming from an entrepreneurial family uh, it really means a lot to shop at small businesses and to help and support them all right now that we ruffled some feathers on that um, the next thing that I would really like to talk about would be uh, dealing with uh, problems right dealing with um, animosity in your business especially from the beginning and when things don't go wrong for a little while uh, it really stresses me out because I feel as a business owner if everything is too easy and everything has been smooth sailing for the last six months, I feel like something's due to break. And I know that's a really negative way to look at it, but it's true. It really is. So one thing about me in particular is I have a, I have a mindset of like, if you're a professional at whatever it is that you do, and I ask you for advice or pricing, you know, if you, if you, if you own a fence company and I ask you a question about my fence and you obviously give me advice, I have the mentality of like, well, you do this for a living, therefore I trust your input. And for the most part, I really do feel like that's a really good attitude to have. But when it comes to your business and like a startup, you should always get multiple um, you should definitely always get like multiple people giving you advice from the same field. And I wish I would have done that when I first opened, but I didn't. So I'll tell you a quick story about a problem that I had before I even opened that almost, I don't know if it would have completely crushed my business from the beginning, but it would have been extremely difficult to make it. Uh, if I wasn't able to sort of figure out a workaround. So for those of you who didn't know, I had a home-based FFL in Louisiana. And so the idea was I kind of kept the FFL on hiatus when I moved to Texas. And I lived in Texas for about a year before I decided to pursue my own business here. And... My whole idea was I talked to the IOI in Louisiana who I you know, kept contact with. And an IOI is basically a regulatory – they're not an agent for the ATF, but basically they, they're in charge of like regulatory services, audits, FFLs, all that fun stuff, like handing out FFLs from the licensing center and the like. So I asked the IOI in Louisiana, and basically she told me it's just as simple as a quick change of address. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Well, hey, again, you do this for a living, so I'm going to trust your input. And I mean, obviously, I had I had known her for like four years, and she's never steered me wrong before. So I was like, okay, cool. So with that information in mind, I sought out and found a lease, which was probably the hardest part about opening my own business was finding a lease. But we'll talk about that next episode i'm gonna see if one of my buddies wants to come on and we'll talk about his journey as a business and things so i'll talk about that challenge uh, in the next episode but once i finally found a, a landlord that was willing to lease to us 
pulled the trigger on it, signed the lease, got it all started, right? Got everything rocking and rolling. Life was great. And then I, once I got, because you have to, say I have to have an address, I contacted the city of Garland, made sure that the address was zoned properly for retail sales. And I get a call from uh, an IOI in Dallas who is actually the acting supervisor for the Dallas Field Division. And uh, he told me, hey, buddy, I have really bad news. I can't reissue you this FFL. So I was really confused about it. I didn't understand why. And basically he was like, look, buddy, he said, so... He said, so if, if the FFL was to your name, so for those of you who don't know, you can, when you apply for your federal firearms license, you can apply to just you. Like, so basically like my name would be on the FFL. Uh, or what most people do is obviously if they have a business, they tie it to some sort of like LLC or corporation or whatever it is, right? That way, if anything happens, you know, liability of that, the firearm stuff would go to your business and not to you personally. So he said, basically, if your FFL was to you personally, it wouldn't be that big of a deal because it's just tied to your social security number. But because your FFL in Louisiana was tied to your Louisiana LLC, and you're, now you have a Texas LLC, it's a different EIN entirely, therefore we can't reissue you uh, an old license, you would have to apply for a new license. To which I said, well, that sucks because, I, you know, to get a new FFL takes about, you know, I'd probably say about like four to six months. And I was like, well, buddy, I don't, I don't have four months. I signed a lease a week ago, right? So I negotiated two months of free rent when I first started. And um, I basically told him, like, look, man, I have to start paying rent in like six weeks. And I can't afford to not be open. And so he's like, well, you can sell other stuff, <laughs> which, okay, I mean... So here I am, basically my first three months of being open, I would have been a gun store that couldn't sell guns, which obviously would have been pretty detrimental. I guess now I could probably get away with like coasting for three months without selling a firearm, you know, because now I have, you know, optics and ammo and all kinds of other crazy crap. But like at the very beginning, like here I am a brand new gun store with almost no inventory and I can't even sell a firearm. That would be detrimental. So basically, I would have just had to say, okay, that sucks, and then basically just pay three months of rent while waiting for the ATF. So having this information obviously drove me mad because I was like, son of a gun, dude. I freaking, I ran with what this IOI said. I didn't double check it. I wish I would have gotten a second opinion and it ran with it. So I'm telling, I'm talking to, the the field supervisor about this and i was like buddy i this is a problem bro like this is a major problem is there anything that i can do to like expedite the process he said well if you apply for a new ffl we can definitely get it expedited but he said a new ffl under a new llc even expedited you probably be looking at two months which is still better than you know four to six months don't get me wrong i would have been very happy about getting one in two months as opposed to four to six but he said listen i've done something in the past he said it's been a long time since i had to do this he said let me look at my notes but i mean this guy's been an ioi for like 30 years right so he he had a lot of knowledge when it came to finding loopholes about you know getting the what i needed to have done getting it done so he said i've done it before i just can't remember the exact process that i had to do he said let me 
look at my notes and I'll try and contact that business owner to see what we can do. I said, okay, I appreciate it. So he calls me back the next day and said, hey, buddy, I found a loophole. He said, if you do what I tell you to do, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. But he said, if you do what I tell you to do, I can get you a new FFL by the end of the week. Mind you, this was Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, because I originally called him on Monday. He called me back on Tuesday. He said, if you do everything I need you to do, he said, I could probably get you a new FFL by Friday. I'd say worst case is mid next week, which it ended up taking about two weeks, but still. So basically what he found was uh, I registered my Louisiana LLC as a foreign entity operating in the state of Texas. cost me $750 through the Texas Secretary of State. I got basically my Louisiana EIN would have been um, running a legitimate business in the state of Texas. And now... I have my old FFL, a new number, but I have my old FFL operating now in Texas, which is perfect. So basically, I had an FFL in two weeks as opposed to two months. So this problem could have been a lot worse. So I guess the moral of the story is Always, when it comes to finding out what's necessary to open your business, whatever it may be, you know, uh, you need to make sure that you check in with the Department of Health if you're opening some sort of nail salon or restaurant or whatever, and, you know, check with the city and zoning. And, and whoever's in charge of the regulatory side of your business, you need to really double check, triple check, quadruple check everything because I don't want you to make the same mistake I did and run with the opinion of one person, regardless of how well you know that person. So, like I said, the moral of the story is get plenty, get plenty of opinions when it comes to opening your business and the location and what's all required to start up and everything. And that way you don't end up in the same boat like I did. And then now you have you would have had a business that you couldn't even really do what you opened the business to do for the first like three or so months, which would have really sucked. So aside from that, um, that was at the very beginning of the business, and that only had me stressed out for the better part of like three days until, you know, this agent or this IOI was able to really help me out. So big thanks to him. Fun fact, I spoke with him last week about something completely different, and uh I told him at the time I'd get him a bottle of whiskey, so I still owe him a bottle of whiskey, which reminds me I need to bring that to him. Anyway, the second thing that I really wanted to talk about, about another major problem that I had was um, uh, I got broken into, my shop did, and I figured it would eventually happen. And um, I didn't think it would happen when it did. Like if I had to guess, I figured I'd probably get broken, like we're about to hit two years. I thought it'd be about now, you know, I'd probably be about a year, two years in before I really got broken into. But so I got broken into on March 1st of 2020, which I opened September 17th. I'm sorry, I opened September 17th of 2020. I got broken into March 1st of 21. So it was about six months, six months in when I got broken into, which is hilarious when you look at it now. Because at the time I didn't have shit. And, uh, like, I think actually when I got broken into, so when I first opened, I think I had seven handguns and maybe seven, seven or eight long guns and a muzzleloader, and that's it. So I had, like, literally less than 20 firearms on deck 
opening day. And when I got broken into, um, I think I had less, I had probably eight or nine handguns on deck. But for those of you who don't know the shop, uh, we save up everything every night. Like, no exceptions about it either. And uh, so anything on the walls, like all the long guns, we save up in safes. Uh, handguns are in a safe. Optics uh, in the safe, in a vault room. Like, we save up everything, right? I'm not one of those gun stores that just is irresponsible and leaves shit out. And so we got broken into, and I mean, I knew it would take... Is it possible to get to my stuff? Well, yeah, obviously anything's possible, right? And I can only keep honest people away, I guess. But when we got broken into, the thing that really sucked and what like I struggled with personally wasn't the actual break-in. But uh, I have terrible like tinnitus, like personally, obviously, and uh, it keeps me up at night like a lot. And like my first year, one thing that no one ever really told me is like my first year of like owning and operating my own business, you don't sleep like at all. And I struggled with that like a lot. I mean, I never had problems sleeping my entire life. And then when I opened my own business, I would be so anxious at the end of the day, like I'd be physically exhausted. And so I would have no problems at all with falling asleep uh, or staying asleep as long as no, nothing in the outside world affected it. But like a dog would bark. Someone would screech their tires. They'd start up their truck outside. I'm a light sleeper. I would wake up. And then once I'd be awake, my mind would start running at 5,000 miles an hour. You know, I'd think, of, okay, I need to send this. I need to reply to this dude's email. I need to send this guy an FFL. Don't forget about that. I need to send off this license. I need to pay this this fee or this tax. I need to pay off this invoice. I need to do this. I need to do that. So the minute I fell asleep, I mean, I, I woke up from asleep. If I didn't fall asleep within 30 seconds, I might as well get up. Doesn't matter what time it was. So I struggled with this for months. And then finally, my wife was like, well, try taking medicine. And I was, at first I was like on the fence about it. I took, I took, I think, a, a whatever pill of like sleeping aid or melatonin like one night. I just woke up the next morning. I remember with like a terrible migraine. And then the next, the following morning, well, the following evening, you know, the Sunday night, the night before I got broken into, uh, she's like, well, try to take two pills. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I did, and I slept like a tranquilized freaking slab of concrete. Like I didn't move, I didn't budge. Like I slept so hard. But then when I got, I got broken into at like three or four o'clock, I think in the morning, was it three? Yeah, three o'clock, three, four o'clock, something like that. And, uh, you know, the security company was calling me. Garland Police Department was calling me. My my, my landlord was trying to call me. Uh, everyone and their mom was trying to get in touch with me. But because I took all this medicine, I didn't hear anything. I didn't move. I didn't budge. I was basically dead. And I didn't wake up until Janae, my wife, had to, like, physically shake me awake. And was like, oh my God, Keenan, there's someone in your shop. Like when I tell you, there's not there's not many worse things other than like, hey, there's someone in the house or there's someone in your shop. Like there's not many things that you can tell me that would instantly, I would go from like color code white to like color code red like that. And instantly I was awake. Boom, done. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's take over the world. It's almost as if she told me, like, hey, there's someone in the house. 
and immediately I got up. I was fully aware, fully awake, ready to take on the world. I, you know, ran, started putting on, you know, pants and a shirt and all this other stuff and, you know, grabbed my keys, my wallet. I had, I looked at my phone. I had like, you know, seven or eight missed calls and all this other shit. So I immediately got in my truck. I called, I didn't call the, I didn't care about Vivian. I didn't call, care about the 1-800 number anymore and I didn't care about my landlord. So I, I, I assumed that the other, the 972 number was the police department. So I called him back. I explained who I was, where I was coming from. What you know? What I look like? What direction? Uh, what my vehicle was? License plate? I was giving them all this information, right? To be like, hey, when you see a F one fifty coming in the parking lot on half a wheel, just know that that's me. And so I get there. I mean, the dudes were in and out in like forty seconds, right? All they did, they busted the front glass, they busted open my empty, unlocked handgun displays. They didn't have shit in them. Well, at the time. Uh, we would take the optics out of the boxes because we used to like display the optics on top of the box and so but we would leave the boxes in the display case like overnight and then in the morning we would just take the optics out of the out of the uh, cabinet in the back and we would just put them like on top of the box so they busted open the front door with a pickaxe ran inside I'm pretty sure they've never been to my shop anymore, ever, because they didn't know where anything was. They they see these displays. They look at the wall, realize it's empty. They look in the displays, see there are precisely no guns in them. They busted open the glass for no reason. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the dudes picked up two. I had like two like AR-15 uppers, just like stripped uppers. He picked them up, looked at them, had no idea what they were, dropped them ran out the other dude grabbed the empty box i'll never forget it for a sig romeo one pro and an empty box for a little bushnell ar optic it was like a six to or a four to 16 i think and so they left with precisely two empty scope boxes which fun fact bushnell or sig neither one of them would send me a box so i was like oh well, can i at least get like the literature in the box or i just i mean it's gonna be hard for me to sell an optic without the box Neither one of them sent me a box. Fun fact about those two companies. But the thing is, they just came in, caused all this damage, you know, for nothing, for absolutely nothing. And the thing that sucked the most about it was I couldn't even make a claim because he didn't steal anything. And so uh, it basically just cost me, it was like $700 out of my pocket to fix the front door. And then I want to say, because I ordered the glass from the same company that I ordered the display cases from, and it was like $90 for the set. So it was the top and the front tempered glass. And uh, they charged me $110 in shipping. So it was $200. So essentially it cost me about 900 bucks and about five or six hours of me just cleaning up and replacing everything. Which... Don't get me wrong. I'm extremely blessed that that's all that it cost me. You know, I'm not complaining about that at all. I just, the thing that really sucked about it was, so that was on a Monday. On the Sunday was when I got my tattoo and I had gotten a half sleeve. And so my arm was obviously super inflamed. I'm sitting there trying to like clean up glass. I'm getting like glass particulates all in of it. I, I cut my arm. While I'm trying to clean up all this glass. There's glass everywhere, dude. I still find glass to this day. 
to this day, we'll be sweeping. I'll move something. There'll be glass. My God, like, dude, when they hit this tempered glass, it imploded. Okay, we literally found glass over, over the twelve foot wall in the back room. Like that's how much glass went everywhere. And at the time, obviously, this like made me so distraught. Like I didn't know what to do. You know, I'm sitting there and now I'm spending like way more money and upping my security and all this other stuff. Which, like I said, I'm very blessed that that's all they took at the time. And the thing that mattered to me the most was it made me realize that I was more vulnerable than I thought we were. Like, I just thought by me telling people, oh, we save stuff up every night. You know, I'm a, I'm a really nice person. I'm really trying to support the community and things like that. Um... I learned that, you know, hey, dude, there's still people out in the world that suck and they still want to take shit that doesn't belong to them. And one thing I really struggled with was was at that that time, I was like, okay, I need to get out of Garland. I I need to move. I need to move. I wasn't going to redo for my second or third year option. I wasn't even going to stay in Garland for a year. I wanted to get out. I wanted to move. And while I was sitting there after cleaning up, um, I had some customers who showed up. Tim, Tim Davis, and uh, my buddy Herb, who's a barber in Garland. And they showed up. Mind you, this all happened at 4 o'clock. I mean, by 6.30, I was still cleaning. And I had to take a break because my arm was hurting so much, and I had cut it. And so I was just chilling. Because obviously I couldn't leave because I was off on Mondays. Well, I worked for another company and I I had to chill and calm down and then that's when Tim showed up and he was helping me clean and then he left and then Herb showed up he helped me clean a little bit mind you I hadn't even been open six months and like I said I was really like okay I need to get out of Garland get out of Garland get out of Garland and when Tim and Herb showed up to help me clean up and everything like Herb I think brought me some some coffee or something just to check in on me Tim saw the door was open, so he wanted to check in on me, and um, that's when I realized, like, man, owning a business means a lot more than just, you know, entrepreneurship and, and trying to make money. Owning a business, and I'll kind of start to close on this, but owning a business means more than that, because a lot of it has to do with community, and like I said, uh, I'm not from Texas. I'm not from Garland. I just moved here on a whim and decided to open my own business. And the fact that the people and the citizens of you know Garland, Rowlett, Rockwall area have really taken me in to their homes and you know bought products from me and they paid my bills the last almost we're going on two years now. That means more to me than trying to retire at the age of fifty. You know, trying to sell my business and retire at 50. When those guys showed up to help me clean, not really knowing me at all, just understanding that I was struggling and that they wanted me to stay, that meant the absolute world to me. And fellas, if you do listen to the podcast, uh, I really, I want you to know that for the last year and a half, I've really thought about you guys coming in and helping me and everything. And I've had plenty of other customers help me out in the past, too. You know, my buddy Sean showed up to the shop one day after he smoked a brisket all night long just to be able to 
you know, uh, offer it to my customers on a Saturday. I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't pay him to do it. He just did it. And I think, like I said, owning a business is so important. And small business really is the heart and soul of community, of a community. And when you face adversity, I promise, I promise that when you face adversity in your business, the people in your community will show up to bat for you as long as long as you do right by them. You know? And that means a lot to me and a lot to my community that, like, for example, we didn't price gouge during COVID. You know, I, I charged what I had to charge to make ends meet. And people understand that. People know that. And when I needed help, people showed up to help me. And I really can't stress that enough, guys, that it is important to be right by your community. When you face adversity, they'll show up to bat for you. I promise every single time they'll show up to bat for you. So um, I'll start kind of closing now. We're at the 45-minute mark, which I was told I need to make my podcast a hair longer. Uh, but I really that was one thing that really I wanted to talk about today was like sort of facing adversity and uh, – understanding professional input and advice and stuff uh, was the main thing that I wanted to talk about today. So guys, as always, we're going to close out the episode of the podcast with uh, the suicide prevention hotline. It's simply just 988. Guys, if you are feeling really down and there's, there's there's a feeling that you have that's really dark and you just feel like the world would be a better place without you, I promise it, it won't uh, you can always call 988. It's a nice short number. It's really easy to remember. If you call that number, I promise there'll be some some support professional on the other end who's more than willing to help you through that time and to talk you through it. So guys, it's been great. Uh, this is the second episode of the podcast. I might do one more myself, and then we'll start bringing in some guests and stuff. I'm really excited about where this is going, and we've had a lot of positive feedback thus far. So guys, uh, please, please uh, stay tuned and uh, stay groovy.